to It's In My Queue, the podcast where we talk about TV pilots. I'm Kara. And I'm Adina. And today we're talking about Friday Night Lights. So this show selection that we have for today was chosen for us by our lovely guest that we have today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie from TV show Grass. Super excited to be here with you all today. Hello, welcome. Anyone who has not already seen or um, followed the account at TV show Graphs, it's on Twitter and you're also on Instagram, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, you should definitely go look it up. It's like really cool, informative content, especially if you're a big nerd about TV, like we are. Do you want to like give people an example of like the kind of graphs that you make? Yeah, sure. So I am a huge fan of all things television, pop culture, and then also kind of a big math slash stats nerd. So math is my background. I also really like kind of visual design. So TV show graphs is really where I kind of combine the love for all of those things together and really kind of deep dive different TV shows from a data lens. So some of it is more kind of like fun meme style graphs. Some of it is more like data analysis. One recent one I did was looking at like gender representation in Breaking Bad versus Better Call Saul from a writing perspective. I've done some around like Nielsen data over the decades and just how genres have shifted. So I really like the stuff that allows me to dig into any aspect of TV history or kind of just cool little things that you might notice about a TV show and kind of wonder like, what is the data behind what I'm seeing? Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. And I, I mean, the stuff, the posts that you make are really high quality. And also like, I just love the kind of stuff that you come up with. Like it just, it's a cool way to, to think about like individual TV shows are also kind of like the industry as a whole over time. I'll just go out there. If any of my family is listening, my family has like a lot of math backgrounds. So you guys should go check out TV show graphs for sure. Anyone who likes TV, just look it up. Cause like, I'm sure there will be posts about some of your favorite shows. Like it's really interesting. So yeah. So thank you for all the graphs that you make and thank you for joining us. I looked just now, cause I was curious if you had ever made any graphs about uh, Friday night lights and I found one, I don't know if maybe there were more that didn't come up in my search, but I found one that you made of like the quality of the storylines over yes. time. <laughs> yes, it was a totally subjective fun graph. It was actually one of, I think one of my earlier graphs that I was doing kind of focusing more on just like, yeah, perception of different storylines. And I feel like Friday Night Lights is one where there is definitely like a variation as the series progressed and just some that are kind of a little bit like, notorious some they're really beloved so yeah that was a fun one not the yeah. most like scientific but just like all about kind of perception and, and that sort of thing yeah I mean we're all about that on this podcast we love to give our completely subjective opinions about how shows go over time um but we are two people who have not seen Friday Night Lights at all no. um so you as a fan of the show you're kind of the expert here you know maybe you know, seeing our reactions as two people that don't really know it will be interesting. Um, even though it is oh, just I'm so pilot. excited. That's <laughs> awesome. I wasn't sure if you if you both had seen it yet. So no, that makes me even more psyched to kind of yeah. discuss it with you both and get kind of those initial initial impressions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well I um I've technically seen a few episodes of it. I tried starting it a couple years ago and I think I got five or six episodes in and just lost steam for whatever reason. It wasn't that I didn't like it. I just 
it wasn't the right moment for me. So I'm actually very glad that I had seen those few episodes because it really helped with knowing the names of the characters <laughs> and taking notes. But um, so I did know what happens in the pilot, but I was able to kind of enjoy it a little bit more with already knowing who the characters were. Um, but Kara, this was your complete first time watching it, right? Yes. Um, I know a little bit about what happens because I have a TV book I got for Christmas last year that I has a chapter on Friday Night Lights. But frankly, I didn't really remember what happened in the chapter. The chapter is mostly talking about like, you know, the like the whole trajectory of the series and that sort of thing. I remember it's, I was sitting there some, thinking to myself, at the whole time I was watching, something happens to Jason Street, but I don't remember what it is. And then it, it happened and I was like, oh, okay. Like I've heard, obviously I've like heard of the characters. Um, like I know the name Tim Riggins. I know Clear Eyes, Full Hearts Can't Lose, like the pop culture-y things. I know Michael B. Jordan is in it at some point, which is one of the things that I always said to myself, I gotta pick up this up one day because I don't immediately flock to anything to do with sports it's just really I can't it's not necessarily my favorite thing um but I like uh family drama so I figured I'd probably be into this um so I was excited that I finally get a reason to start it based on like I've heard many people that love this show I know it's a very popular show so it was like on my list eventually and you know similarly I thought like oh I'm not always so into sports shows which is weird because I'm someone who has written two pilots that are about sports, strangely. Um, but I'm not usually that into sports shows, but a lot of the people that I know that love this show are also not into sports, even less into sports than I am. Like I watch football, but that's kind of it. Like our roommate, Kirsten, big fan of this show. I just found out. I know my stepmom's a big fan of this show and she's not into sports whatsoever. Uh, so like I knew that there was kind of that appeal of like, you know, the family stuff and and that drama as well. So yeah, it seems like it's one of those kind of, you know, it kind of appeals to a very broad audience um, shows, which is always a good thing in terms of popularity. I feel like that I, I am similar where I am not a sports person. I don't play sports. I didn't really grow up around kind of sports in that type of intense way. So I was definitely skeptical when I first started watching this show. Like it wasn't something that I initially thought I was going to connect with, but I think you're right. It really is a show that like sports lovers and not non-sports lovers both kind of can come together around. It was my husband and I both watched it. He really liked it from the sports angle, loved the, the games at the end of a lot of the episodes. I liked it from more of the family drama angle. And then I feel like it does a nice job of kind of blending the two together especially as the as the series goes on so um the background of this show it is sort of kind of based on a true story because the original friday night lights it was originally a book which was uh published in 1990 it was called friday night lights colon a town a team and a dream by hg bissinger and it was it, that was a nonfiction book about uh, the town of Odessa, Texas, and uh, they, I believe, it was their 1988 season. It was very tumultuous um, with a lot of drama um, that kind of affected the whole town. So this was a nonfiction book about it. That was then adapted into a movie by Peter Berg. Peter Berg um, was also the creator of the TV show, and he has had a pretty extensive career throughout TV and film as both a writer, a director, a producer, and an actor. Like, he's done quite a lot. And he's also a second cousin of the person who wrote the book. 
So that's kind of how he got connected into it to make it into the movie, which was released in 2004. And then 2006, um, then he was uh, developing it into the TV show, which is the form that we are going to watch it today. And so it kind of gradually drifted away from the nonfiction basis. The, the movie adaptation was obviously dramatized and fictionalized in order to make it into a movie, but it did keep the names of the people involved in the name of the town the same. But then when they adapted it into the TV show, they decided to move a little bit further away. They did change all the names of the people involved. Like some of them were still based on the same people and storylines, um, but they changed the names. They also changed the name of the town to make it Dillon, Texas, instead of Odessa. And they moved the setting into the present or what was then the present, 2006, um, as opposed to leaving it in the late 80s um, as the book was. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where the origin came from. It was it was based in some truth, uh, but then fictionalized as it was adapted. Um, and it aired on NBC. The first two seasons were broadcast on NBC, and then the second season got shortened due to the writer's strike in 2008, uh, which, as I've heard, apparently it really affected the quality of some storylines in season two. Uh, but then there was kind of a fan campaign. It was going to be canceled, but there was a fan campaign to save it. And it uh, did get end up getting renewed uh, via co-production between NBC and DirecTV, who produced three more seasons, uh, and then it ended after season five. And it was very highly praised. Um, obviously, it was popular with fans, but it also was praised um, you know, from critics. It got a Peabody Award, a Humanitas Award, uh, lots of Emmy nominations, and it did win two Emmys. Um, one for Kyle Chandler as lead actor in a drama series and one for Jason Kadams, who was also the showrunner uh, for uh, outstanding writing for a drama series, which were both for the final season, I believe. Um, so yeah, it definitely was considered very successful. One thing is uh, I mentioned, you know, it kind of drifted away from the, the nonfiction elements as it went on. But in the filming of the show, apparently they used a lot of techniques to like, of like cinema verite techniques of like trying to keep it as realistic as possible. One thing, they filmed it all on location. This was not filmed on any sound stages or sets, which is very unusual for TV. Like that is not something that happens on most shows, but it was all filmed or almost entirely filmed in Texas. The only parts that weren't filmed in Texas were like some scenes where they like go to other places that aren't Texas, like other like college campuses and stuff. But it was filmed um, in Texas. They used like a real high school football team stadium and they used that real high school football team um, uniforms and they used footage from the real team's practices for some of the game footage. And they also like kind of like got to know the community around Texas. They, they paid attention to what was happening around these local schools that are so into football and like took some inspiration from what was happening in those towns in the present. Uh, in addition to what they already had from the book. So like they really were trying to infuse this with as much like reality as they could. And also the way they filmed it, they didn't rehearse scenes before they filmed them. They didn't go in with blocking planned. Kara's making a face right now. I just need everyone to know Kara is making a very alarmed face. So what That's they did- stressful. Apparently they just, cause Peter Berg really wanted- like sort of a reality feel like so what they did was a little bit more like a reality show or a documentary where they had instead of filming it several times from several different angles with one camera they would go in with three camera ops 
that would follow the scene and stay out of each other's ways. And they would have little to no blocking planned out in advance and just tell the actors, do what feels right. And the camera ops were just trained to follow the actors, whatever they did. And the actors were also allowed to, to improvise a bit, you know, with their lines and with their blocking, as long as they still hit all the major plot points, they were given a lot of freedom to just do what felt right with their characters. When I read that, I was, I was like surprised because that is very different to how TV normally works, to how scripted TV normally works. But apparently a lot of people that were involved in the show loved it and like praised it and called it like life-changing, a great way to work. And they really loved that it was set up that way. I hadn't thought about it before having seen only a few episodes, but once I read that, I was like, I can really see that in the product of this show. It's interesting because as I was watching it, I was like, this really feels like a documentary the way that, and I was thinking specifically about the way it was filmed. And so you saying that makes a lot of sense now. I was like, oh yeah, I get it. I see what they were going for. And I think it, they did a good job. Go I was just going to say, I feel like it's a show that like works because of that filming. Like, I'm trying to picture like Friday Night Lights, if they were trying to film it like in LA somewhere, to me, I just don't think it would have been the same show at all. Yeah. And I think that was what Peter Berg, you know, wanted and decided, um, apparently, like he said to the producers, like, this is a deal breaker for me. I'm not going to make this show if we can't shoot it in Texas because it won't be good. And I think he was probably right about that. Yeah. I mean, I think just for, for me, I completely agree with what you said. I think the authenticity really comes through. I, I was aware of kind of the whole like filming on site element and just how, how important that was. I've heard that even some of the like radio snippets that are used throughout like they brought in real radio announcers for some of that and that again just every little detail I feel like is so well thought out and you see snippets of that in the pilot I think you see more of it as the show progresses Um, but I mean honestly for me like Friday Night Lights is such a special show because of like how they really treat the town kind of like a character almost and I Mm. I feel like the the pilot sets the stage for that honestly this is one of my favorite pilots just because I feel like it's really unique in a lot of ways in terms of how it sets the stage but also like is very different from the rest of the show in other ways so yeah I I just love this one and I think the, the authenticity really comes through yeah well, in that case, I feel like we can kind of jump into the pilot. It is just titled Pilot. It was written and directed by Peter Berg, and it aired originally on October 3rd, 2006. And so this pilot begins with a sort of a little montage. There are several of these little montages throughout the episode to break it up, where there's clips of the characters, of the town. It really gives you a sense of the environment that we're in and that these characters are living in and what the daily life is like. So the montage, it is peppered with like different shots of the town and the field as well, but it focuses on coach Eric Taylor, uh, played by Kyle Chandler. He is the lead character. And there are clips of sort of news commentators uh, over visuals of coach Taylor. And they're basically talking about how he is the new head coach of the the Panthers high school football team. And there's going to be a news crew following him around as he prepares for the first game. And there's a lot of pressure because they are the number one high school team in Texas, apparently, and they've been good for a while and they want to continue to be good. So basically as a new coach stepping up, there is a lot of expectation for him to be very, very good and not mess anything up. That's kind of the basic premise of the show, gets it out there very quickly and clear. 
And then we get a few different scenes that introduce us to some of the other characters we're going to follow throughout this pilot. We then see a scene in, in a pretty small house. Um, seems like the characters are not very well off. Matt Saracen, played by Zach Guilford, who actually has been in one other show that we covered on this podcast. He also plays Greg in Good Girls, um, which I watched that before watching Friday Night Lights the first time. And so like seeing him as an adult and then seeing him as a little kid, I was like, oh, what a, what a little baby you are. But yeah, so he plays, he plays Matt Saracen. And we see him in the kitchen. He is making sandwiches. Um, and then he uh, lets his grandma know. His grandma's in the living room. And he's like, I made lunch. Now I'm going off to practice. So he, you know, he lives with his grandma and seems like he has a good relationship with her. But you can tell, like, you know, they're not, like, super well off. The house is pretty small. There's, we never see his mom or dad throughout this pilot. So that's kind of a question of, you know, what's going on there but him and his grandma have a good relationship he goes off he goes outside to his friend's car that's waiting Landry drives him to practice and Landry seems to kind of not love that Matt is on the football team he kind of gives him some shit as they're driving to practice he's like oh I don't want to wake up early and drive you but like you can tell the way they're teasing that they're good friends like they can tease each other because they are friends but also Landry seems kind of bitter about it at the same time he like makes fun of there was like an all-state team sign or something on Matt's lawn and then Landry's like makes some joke about it like oh all-state jerk team or something Um, and Matt also is reading, uh, he has a newspaper article as they're driving in the car that's talking about uh, Jason Street, and the headline calls him maybe the best quarterback ever. So that is something that's on Matt's mind as they're driving. And I think Landry also, he makes some comment about like, oh, you don't even play. Like, so we, we get the sense of Matt is on the football team, but he's not one of their main players. Landry is also played by Jesse Plemons who is having a great career moment. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. I didn't like, Uh for whatever reason, that didn't click in my head. Yes, wow, he's famous now. I feel like they really are like wanting us to like him from the start. Like you see this guy, he's nice to his sweet little grandma. Like, I feel like it is very clear. Okay, this is a character that is supposed to be likable. He's a little bit the underdog. We know he doesn't play in this town that has huge football culture. We see kind of the the banter, I think both in this scene and then a little bit later on between him and, and Landry and that whole vibe. And I don't know, I'm a huge Matt Saracen fan. And I feel like right from the start, it's like, okay, he's just, He's lovable. You can't help but love him. He's such a sweetie. Like, yeah. I don't know what else to say. It's terrible because he's such a sweetie. And then I know, just knowing myself, that if I continue this, I'm just going to be really into Riggins. And yeah. that's annoying. <laughs> I, I was so excited that's where you were going to go with that. Because I feel like that is very much this show. It's like you have Matt Saracen, the, the good guy that like, totally crushable like great guy and then Riggins who develops but is very much the bad boy (laughs) yeah um so that's a good segue into the next character that we do see is Tim Riggins we first see him he is like asleep on his couch he is half naked the house is super messy there's beer bottles everywhere his dad wakes him up and like I mean there's beer bottles everywhere so like he's very clearly drinking at home and his parents know and they don't care 
so that's kind of the layer on all this. Like his dad wakes him up and is just like, you got to get to practice. He's not like, why are you drinking? He just says, it's time to practice. You have to go to practice or else they'll kick you off the team. And like, it's kind of chaotic. There's a few other people like shouting at each other, trying to get him out. You can tell it's maybe not the most healthy boundaries, well-ordered household. So Riggins is kind of like struggling to wake up on the couch. And then his girlfriend, Tyra, comes in and she climbs on top of him. And they're kind of like just making out and like laughing. And then Riggins' dad is like, get up and go. That's crazy. That is crazy behavior. (laughs) What? Yeah, it just, it really tells you a lot about the dynamic here. We didn't get much else about Riggins and his family in this pilot. But it makes me very curious about how what their family dynamic is and how it got that way because it just acting that way casually in front of your parents. And one so one interesting thing, I don't know how much they emphasize this, but the person we see Tim with, the other guy, is his older brother. Oh actually. So okay. they it's very strange. They don't really like give us much of this in the pilot, but we find out later on, like parents not super involved. I think Billy's officially his like has custody of him but I don't know the exact like dynamics behind that but it they dig into it a little bit later on and you definitely do get that vibe though from the start like no no real supervision but that like football is the one thing that like he has to like get up for and like this is your your one thing like make it to practice you might be a little hungover but like you need to still go yeah yeah okay and that makes sense yeah thank you for clarifying that and it's like it's interesting that they didn't or maybe they said something that implied it in the pilot and I just missed it, but like that they didn't make that super clear in the pilot. Cause now that you said it, I can see yep. it. I'm like, Oh, I, I can see how that's, he's an older brother vibe, but yeah, it's interesting that they, there was a lot of showing, not telling with the family dynamics yep. in this pilot, which I think is a strong choice. And it, you know, it gives you a sense of where each person's coming from and it makes you want to know more about how all their families work, but it doesn't give it all to you right away. Yeah. And even with like Tyra there, like I feel like there's open questions and like what exactly is their relationship? They clearly have a physical relationship, but are they like boyfriend, girlfriend? We see her yeah. later on being flirty with other guys. So okay, like that was the same girl? That. Yeah, well, I, Sorry, okay. I called okay, her girlfriend because... in my notes just because I was like trying to keep track of it. But yeah, I was like noting as it went on, like they don't seem to be super well-defined. It seems like there's some differences of opinion maybe but also she clearly likes to stir the pot and just get reactions out of people so (laughs) then we get a glimpse of the Garrity household this is uh Lila Garrity is not on the football team obviously she's a girl she is uh we find out later she is a cheerleader but kind of the more relevant thing is that she's dating Jason Street this quarterback and her her mom tells her like oh you can't go out with Jason tonight because we're having family dinner uh, and then she's like, why well, pep rally rehearsal? And then she has a couple of younger siblings that are like teasing her about the pep rally. And then her dad steps in, Buddy Garrity. He uh, is relevant later on in the pilot and definitely in the show. He kind of lays down the law, stops the family from fighting. So this is the first household that we've seen that is kind of what you think of as the traditional American nuclear family picture. So it's a very stark contrast to Saracen and Riggins's houses. That It's a really interesting choice that they show us these characters in this order, I think, that they do the Garrity house, which is like the most stereotypical last out of these three scenes. Yeah, and I also think it's it's interesting. You see with Lila, like 
her whole identity or a big part of her identity is revolving around street right from the start like mm-hmm. even before we kind of see that many like scenes with street really even before we see him much at all i think like it's it's about other people's perception of him mm-hmm. his identity she is his girlfriend that is like key element that we are already defining her by but but yeah i think you definitely you do get the sense from the start that she's a little bit of the good girl the cheerleader kind of comes from a different kind of family than the first two that we saw which i think is an interesting like you said interesting ordering that felt deliberate mm-hmm. yeah lila seems ready to be a football wife yeah she is committed like, to that plan and she's like prepared i guess it makes sense because um, like that is her career plan at this point like being jason's wife is yeah. how she can presumably become a millionaire and be set for life because he is on track to play for the NFL someday. Honestly, that is a great prospect of how to succeed from where she's at. Like, I can't blame her for it. No, not Makes at sense. all. It's <laughs> interesting to me. We haven't met Jason's mom yet, but it's interesting to me that the two main women in his life, they're like all of their stuff centers around him. Just all the stuff that happens later. It's like, yeah, that's that's their whole life and their whole thing. And then it's like, uh-oh, what now? Because yeah. they have centered so much of their life around him. Noting what you noted about how we hear so much about Jason from other people's perspectives before we see him, I think that's effective, both in that it shows that he's like this kind of mythical figure in this town. He's a high school kid, like he's an 18-year-old kid but he is kind of the most important person in this town right now. And everyone's talking about him, which is kind of crazy, but also on like the writing level, when I first watched this pilot, it was a couple of years ago, but I do remember like, I knew nothing about Friday night lights when I first watched it. So I didn't know that Jason street was going to get hurt, even though I feel like that's a thing that a lot of people do know about the show. I didn't know it when I was going in, but I remember watching this and being like, I'm hearing a lot of talking about this important quarterback, but I'm not seeing a lot of actual scenes that involve him and his character. He's not being characterized a lot if he's going to be a main character in this show. So I kind of had a sense. I was like, I'm getting a lot more time with the backup quarterback than the starting quarterback. So I think something might happen. (laughs) The next scene in the pilot, we do finally get to meet Jason Street. We're uh, at the football field for practice and the news team is there and they're doing a series of interviews with all the different players. Coach Taylor is doing like a joint interview with Jason Street. This is the first time we actually see him. They're sitting next to each other and uh, Taylor talks about how, uh, or I think Street talks about how Taylor has been his coach for a really long time, like since peewee football. And he's been like his individual quarterback coach for the past few years. So they have a very long, you know, relationship. And one of the news people makes a comment of like, isn't it a big coincidence that you finally got the head coaching job just when Jason becomes a senior and Taylor kind of brushes it off. He's like, oh yeah, it's a really fortunate coincidence. And I flagged that because it sounded kind of like the news person was insinuating that there was foul play of some sort going on there. And I don't, I honestly don't know if it is foreshadowing something or not, but it sounded like foreshadowing to me. Yeah, that stuck out to me too. And I mean, I maybe misremembering, I don't feel like it becomes a like major like plot point that they dig into, but it did like speak to me a little bit about how just like, I don't know. I feel like with this like football culture, there's like the good stuff, the bad stuff, and just Mm -hmm. kind of like the media kind of being very involved and like asking a lot of those questions and kind of just always having a little bit of kind of a passive aggressive 
defensive tone to some of the things that they're wondering and asking, but I may be like forgetting to, there might be more that comes into it, but nothing is like immediately standing out to me. Yeah. Well, definitely a lot of things in this interview montage, it really captured like the media people asking very loaded questions, either trying to insinuate that there are problems that maybe there are, or maybe there aren't, but like, if you ask the question in such a way that insinuates the problem is already there, then it's more likely to get an emotional response out of the person. So you like, I feel like they really captured that. It also, I feel like in this, in this montage and also throughout the whole episode, it seems like the media want coach Taylor to fail. And I didn't super, there's like, because there's not much in the pilot that says to me, why would you want this man to fail? He's just, he's like Mm -hmm. clearly under a lot of pressure and they're making it worse by insinuating that he's not up to the task. So I wondered what happened in those years before he was promoted to head coach. There was a few quotes that, again, I'm not sure how much of this is real foreshadowing, but the things I was picking up as a viewer that doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. In the very opening montage, they said something like, he's no Mac Brown. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's like a real life coach that they were comparing him to, or if that was like the previous, maybe the previous coach that had his job before him. But like, maybe, you know, maybe it's the sense of everybody really liked the old coach. And because if you're stepping in, I mean, whoever the old coach was, they obviously were very successful because the team is very successful. So like, you know, you're always going to be suspicious of the new person stepping in. Um, But then there was also the weird thing about his wife, which we get more about later. Tammy does not seem very happy in this town. And she feels like she doesn't fit in and she wants to get away, which made me wonder also about like, what is their family's role? in this town. Uh, and I feel like we're going to get more on that in later episodes. Yeah. Um, I think you're right with Tammy. Like the pilot is a really interesting portrayal for me of Tammy, because I think as the series goes on, she becomes one of the richest characters and like the most multifaceted for me in the pilot, you see little snippets of things that are maybe hinting to future storylines. I think you're right about like kind of this sense that maybe this town in this life wouldn't have fully been her choice. She's supportive they have a very complex and wonderful marriage that gets explored in the future but I feel like you do get that hinting that like she's someone who has put some of her own preferences to the sidelines to support his role as this high profile coach it's not the same but in a way it's kind of like Lila Garrity's future you know, mm-hmm. she's very into this whole, I'm going to dedicate my whole life to Jason Street because that's going to work out great for both of us right now. But in 10, 20 years, would she feel the same way? Who knows? So yeah, so that's the first interview. Then we get a shot of Jason Street's parents are sitting in the stands with a recruiter from Notre Dame. And uh, this recruiter is basically talking about like, oh, when can we get him out there to practice? Like basically saying a lot of flattering things and basically saying like, we want him to come to our school. So like he is such a top prospect that schools are like begging him to come. Then uh, we get some other players are also being interviewed. The next one we see is Brian Smash Williams. He is the star running back for the team. He's very confidently handling this interview. He's talking about his goals for his future. He like knows that he's talented and he, you know, knows where he wants to go to school. He wants to win a Heisman trophy in college, which is like for the best individual players. They also, they ask him something about his dad being dead and he immediately vetoes that question. He's like, nope, I'm not talking about that. So that also seemed like planting a future storyline. 
And then he also gets asked about racism on the team. Uh, he is a black player and the majority of the team, I don't know about the whole team, but definitely the majority of this team that we've seen is white. So mm. they ask him about that. And he basically gives, he basically says like, I ignore it. I just don't, I don't think about it. Uh, I just want to play. And then it cuts immediately from that answer to Tim Riggins, who evidently has been asked a similar question. And he says, it's not racism. I just don't like him, which tells you a lot about Riggins. And then he's also asked some other questions about him being like aggressive as a player. And he says, I just like to hurt people. A very strong indication of his personality. So it seems like Riggins, not that he doesn't give a fuck about how people see him, but it kind of seems like he wants people to see him as a bad boy. He like wants people to hate him. He seems to have some sort of complex about that. And then we cut to Jason Street, who's giving like very polite to the point answers to all of his questions. He's like, you can tell he's been coached for all of this since he was a kid. The media um, training kicked in. Yeah, he like he knows how to talk to the interviewers. Then you cut to Matt Saracen, one of the coaches asking him if he can go fish out a play sheet that he threw in the garbage, which that made me feel so bad. I love the whole like narrative technique of like the interviews. And you were touching on this earlier, but I just feel like it's such a great way to just quickly get to know so much about multiple characters and kind of this like rapid fire succession so I thought that was actually really effective I think certain things are a little bit exaggerated in a lot of pilots and I think this one is no exception where like they really push it down your face with like the Tim Riggins like wanting to hurt people comment like that's very much I think an extreme version of the Tim Riggins that we end up seeing later on is a little bit softer and we get to see more of the the multi-dimensional aspect but um, I think it works for like telling us like what are kind of the the general character traits that we should expect from each of these people. Yeah, that's true of a lot of pilots. You have to kind of hone in on one or two key traits for each character that you just really want to impart in the pilot. And like the nuance will always come later. And this montage, I think, is really, really like we're making it sound simple, but this is really well written, really well crafted. Like every mm-hmm. word and every cut, I feel like is chosen very carefully and how it shapes our perception of these characters. And I have to assume like Peter Berg, because he had been working with this project for so long, you know, between doing the movie and then developing the TV series that, you know, he had a very strong sense of what he wanted these characters to be and how to come at it. So that really shows through. One of the interviewers calls out Riggins for the fact that he's drunk and hungover, noticing he smells like alcohol. And he's just like, he doesn't even seem to care that much. And then we get some shots of like practice, you know, they're doing drills and tackle drills and whatever. And coach Taylor is shouting, you know, motivational slash tough love stuff at them. There is another shot of Riggins kind of having a rough time and like taking off his helmet. And it looks like he is a little bit ill. And then there's, it ends on a final quote of Taylor being asked by the news crew. Like, do you feel responsibility, you know, to succeed? And he says, yeah, I feel extra responsibility because we're so good. And then we end with the title card. So that's the teaser. It's kind of a long teaser. It gives us a lot of different characters, but I feel like it is a pretty effective overview of kind of what the stakes are. Specifically in the montage bit, I started to get, um, have you guys ever seen the movie Remember the Titans? It's been a while, but yeah. yeah. That is like my mother's favorite movie. So I've seen it a bunch um not not in a long time but I remember it but like it's got Denzel Washington Ryan Gosling's also there takes place in the 60s I think or the 50s and it's like this black man is coming to coach this high school 
team with this white man as particularly with the whole thing with like smash and riggins where riggins is like i just don't like smash that's where i started to get remember the titans vibes from that because there was a whole thing of this like the this one white player and this one black player they really didn't get along and then by the end they like learned to come together and be and be friends um and that was absolutely the vibe that I was getting off of those two in this episode I haven't seen the show but I don't feel like Smash and Riggins are going to become friends no I don't think so I think that they were just putting aside their differences because something bad happened which is sort of a little happens and remember the Titans but they actually did become friends I liked this teaser a lot. It didn't feel that long. I know it took us a while to talk about it, but that's just because we kept interjecting. Um, So like, even though it was a little long, it didn't really feel it. I feel like since I came in completely blind, I was still like, all right, I only know three names, Jason Street, Tim Riggins, and Coach Taylor. And that's just because Jason Street, because they kept saying it. And then Coach Taylor and Tim Riggins, just because I know pop culture. It is a rapid fire introduction of characters and they just kind of like trust you to follow along, which I'm glad about. And I did for the most part follow along. One, another smart thing they do with introducing these characters is they throw a lot at you, but they do pick out, there's kind of one key thing you kind of need to know about each character. Jason Street is a great quarterback. Tim Riggins Mm -hmm. is an asshole. Smash is very talented and ambitious and Saracen is the backup and he's kind of an underdog. And then they keep, every time we come back to those characters after the teaser, they reinforce those same traits. So it gives you a little preview of what they're just going to continue to reinforce throughout the pilot. So then after the teaser, uh, our next scene, we have another pretty big scene. There's a lot of like big group scenes in this pilot where we have little zone in moments on different characters. So we go to this diner uh, which apparently is a place that a lot of people in town like to frequent. And the news crew is still there. They're interviewing Jason Street, who's now sitting at a booth with Lila, his girlfriend. And they're, you know, asking him about the burger he's eating. And they're teasing him like, oh, is this your first endorsement? Do you endorse this burger? And, you know, he's, again, he's being very humble. He's giving very prescribed answers. And then uh, Smash is sitting like a couple tables away and he calls out, he's trying to get the news crew's attention. He's like, I'll endorse it. I've got other endorsements with Nike and Adidas. And like, (laughs) you can tell he's kind of joking around and maybe he enjoys attention. Maybe, not maybe. He, throughout this pilot, you can tell that he is the sort of guy who very much does enjoy attention. So then elsewhere, a different part of the restaurant, we have Matt and Landry are hanging out and they're eyeing this pretty girl who's sitting at a table by herself and reading Moby Dick. And she is the coach's daughter, they mention. Uh, her name is, is Julie. Landry's like, let's go flirt with her. But Matt is like, I'm not supposed to talk to the coach's daughter. Like, she's off limits. Which seems like maybe a good idea. But Landry's like, no, like, let's, let's just, let's go. And he goes up to her and his opening line is, I'm in your English class. Stellar opening line. <laughs> and Julie seems kind of annoyed. She just wants to read, clearly. She just wants to be alone. And they ask if they can sit with her. And she says, are they on the football team? Uh, And Landry's like, this guy is. He's the backup, but he's on the team because he thinks that's a good thing. Most people in this town love anybody who's on the football team. But then Julie's like, no, I will not talk to or eat with anyone who's on the team. And then Landry kind of backs up and he's like, oh, but he's he's barely on the team. He doesn't play at all. So it doesn't count. (laughs) And he throws him under the bus. And Julie's like, I don't care. I don't eat with football players or you either. That she adds to Landry. 
she savage. She is just Ooh. savage here. That's so funny. Yeah. But I don't blame her because like it would be so annoying. All these people coming up to you when you don't want to be involved at all. Yeah, and I think this is another case where it's like what we get kind of one clear takeaway from her, which is like she's a little bit different probably from the rest of her family slash this town not really into the whole football thing just wants to sit and read I feel like mm-hmm. that is our like Julie Taylor yep. takeaway and it's interesting because the rest of the girls in this scene are all over the football players and yep. she's like absolutely not yeah um not but for also me, I have a feeling they're setting up a sort of a romance trope which is like the one girl that's off limits is the one that you want I can and I will eat it right up <laughs> So then back with Jason and Lila, you get the vibe from Jason that like he's good at giving the answers he's supposed to give, but he doesn't necessarily eat it up. Like he doesn't seem like he's trying to talk more or get more attention, probably because he has to do this all the time and he gets tired. But Lila is kind of eating it up and answering for him at this point. Like, oh, he handles the pressure so great. He's so great. And then a few tables away, uh, we see Tyra, who was the girl with Riggins before, um, is kind of listening to what Lila's saying and like mocking her from afar and then calls her a whore and then it gets up and goes to sit with Smash and starts flirting with him. Here's here's where I have to say what I was saying earlier, which is that at first my brain was like, is this the same blonde girl from the beginning? And then I was worried that it was a different blonde girl and I just didn't catch her name. So I was sitting yeah. there the whole rest of the episode being like, I don't know if it's the same person or not. Um, but it's good to know that it was. Yeah. I and now I understand why maybe Rickens doesn't like Smash. Which is true. But also I'm like, maybe don't like Tyra because she- That's also terrible. true. <laughs> That's also true. It's like, I don't know that you're, I don't know what you're getting yourself into, but it doesn't seem good. So then we go back with Coach Taylor. Um, He's in his office at the stadium and he's watching some game film, prepping for the game. And his wife, Tammy, comes in and greets him. She, she says that she heard an ugly rumor, uh, which sounds like it's setting up something really serious, but then it sounds like he just forgot to tell her that there's this big car dealership opening thing tonight that they are supposed to go to because it's um, Buddy Garrity, who is a major supporter of the football team. And it's one of those like town things, like everyone in the town just kind of go, like you have to go. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, that I forgot to tell you. And then she makes a reference to Alaska and she says something about it being more relaxed. I, to me, this is really great dialogue writing because it's the audience doesn't fully understand what they're talking about, but this is how a married couple would talk. They're very clearly referring to some other conversation they've had in the past, and it's how people would actually refer to it. And we don't necessarily know, but we can infer that maybe she's not happy about them living here. It's similar to what I was thinking about with like the whole football wife scenario. It, it's a similar thing for the coach's wife because mm-hmm. this takes up so much of their time like it you see it late in a later scene too where he's literally just so focused on this that I feel like the wife also has to give up a lot like we see Lila who seems very excited to take on that sort of mantle and I think that Tammy is more so she's set up more so as the I I'm here because my husband loves this and I love my husband, not necessarily that she loves this life, which is, I think, an interesting dynamic to set up considering how many people 
are just like, yeah, football <laughs> on this show. Yeah, I feel like it definitely hints that there's like something something more kind of behind what we're initially seeing with Tammy's character and that I think the show does a nice job of kind of playing with that balance between like her role as coach's wife and just you, you see how much she loves her husband as the show progresses, you see it in the pilot and other aspects of her identity, which we don't see as much of during the pilot. We get kind of some hinting that she has opinions and has no problem making those opinions known. But then some of that stuff I think does get explored later on in a way that definitely plays interestingly off some of the the various tropes that I think you come to expect with like coaches and football culture and all that stuff. After that, we there's a very brief scene of Matt Saracen at home outside his house. He's practicing, he's uh, practicing his throws and Landry's hanging out with him and basically just shitting on the football team. Matt's grandma comes out and just says like, hey, you need to get some better friends because your one best friend is shitting on the thing that you like to do. It's it's interesting because like you can see why Landry maybe thinks that the football team are dicks, but also it's kind of a jerk move to be constantly shitting on the thing that your best friend likes to do. It's also interesting because Matt literally just sits there and takes it. I mean, you get the sense that, well, he's kind of in between a rock and a hard place because he doesn't seem to have friends on the team either. Mm-hmm. So he kind of needs Landry, his only friend, but Landry hates the team. So it's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, so that's that. And then another very brief scene of Lila and Jason. They're alone and they're outside the football field at night. And they're kind of, this is the first time they've been alone all day, or at least that's the sense we're getting. And she is kind of joking about like, oh, all the, the questions that he's been asked all day. Like, oh, Jason Street, is it true that you're a god and you can throw a football six miles or something? Like she's making up like fake questions and then they're kissing. And then she says, is it true that you love me more than anything in the world? And he says, yes. And then she says, more than football. And he goes, well, almost anything. And then it's like a sweet moment. And as I was reading over this in my notes, I was a little bit like, what's the point of this scene? It doesn't seem like it does that much. But I think the point of it is just to show that they genuinely do like each other. Because like, if we didn't have this scene, it would be easy to think that maybe their relationship is kind of forced and set up by everyone else around them. But like, this shows us that they do really seem to care about each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that... And I'll be honest, like, Lila's not my absolute favorite character <laughs> across the show, but I, to your early point, some of the stuff we saw earlier with the interviews maybe could have given the impression that, like, she's just using him or that she's just, likes that role. And I think what we see over the course of the pilot is she does really love and care about him and, and say what you will about her. I think she has a good heart and loves him completely and so I think this does kind of establish that in a way that I think makes some of the later stuff a bit more impactful and then we get one more scene with uh coach Taylor's family at home and I guess I don't know if they officially said it but I'm inferring that this was maybe just a rental a temporary rental home because they were also looking at buying houses Taylor he's watching more game film at home uh so he's still working Tammy is like reading off real estate listings like trying to convince him about buying houses And he is very much not listening. Uh, And then Julie chimes in. She's like, you know what? I think this town is like Moby Dick uh, because everyone's chasing, you know, this white whale of the state championship. You know, it's like this thing that you're never going to capture and you're being driven insane. 
and Taylor, he finally looks up once his daughter's talking. So it's, it was interesting to me that he was ignoring his wife, but then he talked to his daughter. <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, does that make me Captain Ahab or Coach Ahab? Uh, and she goes, yep, yeah, you're being driven insane trying to capture the state championship and you're not going to get it. <laughs> and he, he's like, you know what? I think we will capture that fish. Yeah, and I love they they kind of play off to like just how different again Julia is like she's not into the football stuff like he makes some remark like are you sure you're my daughter or whatever and so I think we get that that personality distinction comes through in here as well so then we get um a title a caption that tells us Tuesday so the next bit we kind of get it broken up into the days you know that are leading up to this game that's on Friday and so every time they tell us what day it is we get another little montage of like clips of the town and some like news commentary of what what the commentators are talking about today they're just you know predicting how the game's going to go we get a brief scene of Taylor meeting another coach in the parking lot for advice i did not get this guy's name but basically it seems like he's another coach giving some advice about you know specifics like oh they've got a tall defense so he basically just reiterates how important it is to win this game uh and he says with expectations like this the only place you can go is down and then he asks coach taylor how his family is and he's like oh yeah it's fine the other coach says it ain't gonna last (laughs) so it's known that like coaching is gonna be a huge strain on the family it's not a secret and then they both kind of laugh like oh you know it's only football it's not that big of a deal, but they know that they're lying. Yeah, so that's just like a little more perspective on how high the stakes are. And then our next scene is we get this big dealership opening that was referred to earlier. And again, this is like a big event for the town. It seems like everybody is there. Buddy Garrity, so Lila's father, uh, is the one who owns it and who is opening this dealership. Uh, the mayor of the town speaks first. She congratulates Buddy and she invites Coach Taylor up to speak. He brings the whole team up and he gives a pretty generic speech about it's a great honor to be coaching and we really want to win this championship. Like there's nothing that particular in his speech. And then there's a shot of Julie and Tammy listening to this speech. And Julie says to her mom, let's see where all this love for him is once he loses a game. So she can kind of tell, like, I feel like she, as someone who doesn't care about football, she's like, I know you're all going to turn on him as soon as he loses the game. Like, she is not drinking the Kool-Aid whatsoever. And then Smash comes up to the mic and he, like, starts hyping the crowd up with a lot of, like, amping people up and stuff. And it's just another instance of, like, he very much loves the spotlight and people love him like he's very charming he's a great hype man he is a great hype man and like yeah so this is not like a negative thing but that's just who his personality is he likes to get in front of the mic he likes to to get everyone hyped up and honestly it's a good thing that he does that because it seems like the other people on the team are not the best at that personality like street knows how to do interviews but he's not very uh outgoing and charming it's kind of good and you know riggins you absolutely don't want in front of a microphone so So it's good for them that they have somebody like Smash to get everyone amped up. Then we get this kind of montage of several little scenes of like people mingling at this reception. Tammy gets kind of pounced on by some other moms in the town who ask her why she has not been coming to book club. And she's like, oh, I did not know that that's a thing I was supposed to do. And they're like, well, it's on Wednesdays, so you should come from now on. And she's like, okay, I will. Like, it, They don't read books at this. I'd like to interject here to say that I had a moment when watching this particular scene where I was like, what year is this? Because the other women that aren't Tammy 
all have like the most 80s looking hairstyles. I was like, and then I remembered this was like small town Texas. Yeah. And I was like, so so they hadn't caught up with the times yet, yeah. is what I was getting. But Tammy has, um, which is probably yeah. another reason she doesn't super fit in with these women. Yeah. So she clearly didn't seem enthused about it, but she got the vibe of like, you have to do this. It's the expectation. So Coach Taylor sees Riggins and Tyra making out and as he's walking by and he tells them to knock it off because it's inappropriate for this event where there's like, you know, important people. And there's a few different like conversations going on. Coach Taylor kind of ends up in the crowd of like men who are like boosters for the football team. So like Buddy Garrity and others who are like, they give a lot of money to this program and they're very invested into it. And so they, they're very buddy, buddy with him. Like, haha, we're guys, we're all in this together, but they're also kind of threatening at the same time. They're like, Oh, it's going to be great. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Because if you screw up, it'll be really bad. Ha 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 ha. And meanwhile, Jason street has been cornered by the mayor who <laughs> this was so uncomfortable, but so funny. She's cornered this poor boy and she's like, wow, you have such nice manners. And he, he goes, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. He's just answering everything she says with yes, ma'am. Um, and she goes, knock it off. You can't have nice manners. You need to be aggressive. You need to carpet bomb them. And he just keeps saying, yes, ma'am. He does not know how else to react to this. And she tells him he needs to listen to Black Sabbath to get in the mood. <laughs> for the game. Then there's a shot of a different older woman flirting with Riggins which was also inappropriate. <laughs> and then Tyra spots that Jason, because he was with the mayor, that Lila's not with him right now. So she pounces on him and starts flirting. And she says, she says something really gross. She's like, oh, you're with Lila. Like, I know you're with Lila, but like, if you're drinking milk every day, you must get bored. Want to try a milkshake? And it was like, really, like, I know that there are women that are gross. But that particular line, I was like, I don't think a high school girl would say this. I think this was a middle-aged man writing how he thinks a slutty high school girl would flirt. Yeah, so. and I feel like they really go all in in the pilot on, like, Tyra being this kind of, like, go sleeps around kind of girl. <laughs> and the I think it gets toned down a little bit as things go on because it's, it is interesting. We see in the pilot that like Jason and Riggins are good friends as well. So like, mm -hmm. it feels a little bit weird, that dynamic of like her being like all of a Jason, but you can also kind of tell that she's someone who like you said, just like to stir the pot a little bit yeah. and like has fun flirting with guys, like enjoys the attention of it. And that that is kind of part of her identity and how she's kind of built her role in this town. Yeah, definitely. And it's very evident in the scene because she comes up, she starts flirting with Jason. He's trying to tell her to go away. He's not engaging with it. But then a bunch of people with cameras come up and start taking pictures of them together. And he's like trying to get away from it without like pissing people off. And then Lila comes up and notices it and she's upset. And then Jason kind of has to chase her down and be like, I'm so sorry. I, I was trying to get away from her. Like, you know that I'm with you. I don't care about Tyra. And like, you know, he saves it. But then Tyra immediately right after that goes to find Smash and starts flirting with him again. And then Riggins catches up with her at that point and he's very upset that she's flirting with Smash and tries to kind of take her take her home, quote unquote, and starts like being angry at Smash and making fun of his he has like this cross necklace that's like a little bit flashy and he's like, "Oh, like you got the that bling." And he like 
grabs it or something and then they kind of start shoving each other they know this is a lot to ask of teenage boys but y'all just need to drop tyra yeah i was gonna be like what is so special about this girl she's being a dick to you riggins like why are you not pissed at her maybe you also hate smash for other reasons but like you have to know your girl ain't shit it's like i'm so confused he was literally just standing there and tyra came up to him (laughs) like it's like she's the problem (laughs) yeah i don't know it's an easy way to sow tension between teenage boys and a pilot i guess and then the last bit i mean all of this is kind of cut together but the last bit that we hear is back with coach taylor and those booster guys and they just kind of go like hey we gotta win championships that's kind of all that matters dude if you win the championship we will like you if you don't we will hate you uh and then that's we get an act break there so again just really reiterating these stakes are very high then we get our title wednesday we're on the next day and then we get this whole sequence of like it's practice it's football practice but also we also see cheerleaders practicing and we also see the peewee football team um is like practicing with the high schoolers um it seems like they're doing kind of like an outreach sort of thing then we go into the locker room and jason street's kind of giving like this speech to the younger players um he's giving them a sort of a pep talk about you know keep at it and you know you'll be great one day too and they are like so excited to be talking to jason street he's like a celebrity to them and they're like are you gonna play pro and he's like i hope so and they're like you should play on the cowboys and you'll be better than troy aikman it's kind of cute and then he kneels down and leads them all in a prayer because this is texas and one of the kids asks him do you think god loves football and Jason Street says, I think that everybody loves football. <laughs> this is, why is this interaction, like, so aggressively American? No, um, like, I'm Jewish, <laughs> so I don't relate to this. But also, like, that last, ex- I was like, that made me laugh. Like, why was that kind of weirdly wholesome and heartwarming, even though it's against everything I believe? This is such an interesting, like, series of scenes for me, just because I feel like it, on the one hand, like, I really like this scene in that it's establishing just like the kids and just how the team is really idled in their eyes. On the other hand, I feel like there are moments where it like borders on a little bit cheesy, but then I'm kind of like, okay, maybe that's the point. Like, especially with that whole like God and and football line. It's like, to me, that seems like ridiculous and over the top. But then I think about like actual like football culture in Texas and like the prayer and just the role of like people like, faith in football like going hand in hand and I feel like it makes a point to show us that like okay this god element is also part of this culture too yeah Yeah, like I went to school with someone whose father is chaplain for the Ravens so she got to go to the Super Bowl that time I was jealous like football is a big it's a big deal specifically the god stuff on the purpose of including the scene like It might be a little cheesy to those of us who aren't inside of this culture, but it is important to show it because it doesn't matter if we feel the same way as the characters. All that matters is that we can understand how strongly the characters feel about it. So I don't need to believe in God or to believe that God likes football or to love football myself in order to see that it's that important to these characters and that's how far they're going to go for their football team and for winning football games because that's what it means to them. We had something similar in our episode about Downton Abbey that we just released when Robert has that speech about how much Downton Abbey means to him. And like, again, like that doesn't mean anything to me as a viewer. Like, I don't give a shit about this building, this estate in England. It doesn't mean anything to me. But when he gives that speech and I see how much it means to him, 
now I care about him getting to keep it, you know, like. The thing that also gets me about this scene, particularly with the kids, is that I'm sitting here thinking to myself, maybe, and I was thinking like, maybe it's just because I don't come from like a really small town, but I didn't super, I feel like my whole thing, this whole episode, I was like, wow, literally these people love football and they rally around it in such a way that I've never seen anyone rally around anything in my entire life. So I feel like the inclusion of the kids also is good for like getting the sense that like every that's just what they're born with that's what they come up to understand like their town is about football yeah and all the kids that are on the team now they were those younger kids a few Mm -hmm. years ago you know that's all we get for Wednesday then the title tells us it's now Thursday and uh we get a scene of coach Taylor with a realtor he's checking out a house for sale and it looks like a pretty nice house. And the realtor's like, oh, do you want to have your wife see it? And Taylor's like, no, I think she'll like it. And I was like, are you sure? Seems like there was tension between the two of you. So, I mean, it is a nice house, but also maybe she should see it. She's like, do you want to make an offer? And he goes, I'll make an offer after this football game. <laughs> so definitely like the stakes of this first game are going to influence a lot about his life. But also I have to say every time someone like specifically the husband goes to get buy a house as a surprise for the wife in a TV show, that always really stresses me out. Like if someone did that to me, I would be like, why didn't you include me in this decision? Like yeah. that's not cute anyway. Maybe she was looking at listings the other night. So yeah, maybe he I got assumed it from one of the listings. Was, yeah. I assumed this was the one she put on the fridge, which yeah. is why he said she'll like it. Okay. But in that, other that scenarios, yeah, it stresses me out. So then he's uh he's driving home, and on the radio, there's another kind of news clips montage of these commentators talking about the game, and they're talking about how Coach Taylor is uh, too inexperienced, and he's over he's going to over rely on Street as a quarterback, and he's getting a little upset, and then he turns it off because you can tell that the commentary is starting to get in his head a little bit. And then the next scene was, I don't know exactly where this was. It might've been like someone's yard, but it was like outside kids were having like a party football team kind of having a party like the night before the game. But mostly we focus in on uh, Riggins was sitting with Jason and Lila. And they're basically talking about Jason's career and how successful he's going to be. And Riggins, this was Riggins was talking about it and he was pretty optimistic. So it wasn't just Lila. It was Riggins being like, you're going to play in the NFL in 10 years. You know, we're going to buy a ranch together in Texas Uh, and we'll be friends, you know, you're going to be crazy rich and whatever, and I'll still be your friend. And then Jason's like, nah, man, you're not going to live on my land. But he replies, I'm the caretaker street, whether you like it or not. And then he gives a toast 10 years from now, good friends living together in Texas. And he says, let's touch God this time, boys. So they're trying to kind of get hyped up for the game, you know, talking about how much it's going to mean for their life. But this was interesting to me because Street, he was kind of joking when he told Riggins, like, haha, you're not going to live on my land. But he also sounded maybe kind of serious, which, I mean, it must be weird for him because everyone is talking about his future success and also kind of trying to glom onto it. And like, it's one thing for his parents or Lila to be glomming onto it, but for Riggins to be like, in 10 years, I'm going to live on your land. <laughs> and it's like, we're friends now, dude, on our high school team, but you know, he must be wondering, like, what's Riggins going to be like in 10 years? I love this scene. I feel like it's one that, like, is very iconic, as I think, over, like, the show and just, like, scenes that, like, really stand out. I think part of it is just, like, the the timing of this scene, kind of, with what comes in the, the next day. This is just kind of this, like, 
almost pure moment of like four friends sitting around the like famous Texas forever line that I think just really there's a lot of hope in this scene a lot of like daydreaming about the future and like maybe kind of unrealistic things around like yeah picturing like Riggins like living on the land and everything but to me there's also something just very like innocent and hopeful about this scene and like because who knows so many things can happen in football as we go on to see like this is just like expecting that Jason will be this NFL star have all this money everything's going to happen it'll be these pairings forever it's just very idealistic in a way that is is memorable I think it's interesting to think about like every single starting quarterback in the NFL was the hotshot most important guy in their town growing up probably and not all of those hotshot guys grow up to be you know actual starting quarterbacks then we move on to Friday we're on game day and we go we go straight to the game we're right at the stadium we've got the commentators hyping people up the crowd is there they are excited the cheerleaders are out and people are expecting the Panthers to win like they've been a little nervous throughout the episode but like they are the favorite team they are supposed to beat this other team so in the locker room they're all in uniform coach Taylor is giving them this hype up speech about expectations He's like, oh yeah, like I, I think we're going to win. But what I expect from you is that you take it seriously. The other teams are going to be fighting really hard. And then he says the, uh, the catchphrase of this show, which has become one of the most famous phrases in, in TV, I feel like, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And that's one, I honestly had heard that phrase before I even knew it was from this show. I thought it was just a thing in the world. Uh, didn't realize it came from this TV show. That's how ubiquitous it is. But yeah, so then as the team kind of runs out, Coach Taylor catches Street and they just have a moment together. And he tells Street, you deserve this. You've earned it. And he repeats it back. He says, you deserve it too. So it's a cute, cute little moment for the two of them that they've worked together a lot. Definitely not going to go wrong whatsoever. <laughs> we go out on the field and then there's this big montage of the game. I'll kind of go through it quickly. The Panthers start off, they're winning. They're doing really well. They get a first touchdown. The other team, Westerby, gets another touchdown to tie it up. They tell us we're in the second quarter. Panthers score again. They mentioned that it was a really good throw by Street. So like he's showing up. Then Westerby answers again. So they go into halftime. They're tied 14-14. And then the commentators are saying as they go into halftime, like, oh, Coach Taylor's got to clean up the defense. Like the offense is doing well, but they're letting up too many points. So then in the locker room at halftime, one of the other coaches um, is screaming at the defense in the background about getting it together. But Taylor and the other offensive uh, coaching staff are with Jason Street and they're trying to make a game plan of like how they're going to get a lead in the second half. You know, it's very like intense. They're they're trying to figure it out and they only have 15 minutes. So then they go back out for the second half. Despite their halftime coaching, the offense has a really bad time in the second half. They are not able to score more points the way that they were before. Also at this point in the montage, the pace starts picking up. The shots are shorter. The cuts are faster. The music gets more intense and anxious. And like, as the viewer, you can start to feel like the pressure that the players are under as this game is winding away and they are not doing well. So then we check in with them again. There's six minutes left in the game and the other team is now up 24 to 14. So they are up by 10 points, two scores. Street is still in it. You know, he's like giving everyone a pep talk in the huddle. And then he immediately goes and throws an interception. And then the defender uh, that caught it is kind of running in an open field. And Jason Street's the only one around who can tackle him. So he does. He does a really good tackle and gets this guy in the open field, but does not get up after. Jason Street, he's down. 
at first everyone's just waiting for him to get up but then it's silent for too long and people realize that something's very very wrong this whole stretch is actually like it's it's done pretty long and pretty slow and like there's not a lot of talking in this whole section of the scene and I think that's very effective because it shows like the awkwardness and the tension of everyone as they don't know what's happening you know the medics go out onto the field and they're checking on him the whole stadium is just waiting there for him to get checked on the commentators you know make some comments they're trying not to talk too much but they're breaking the silence like oh this is really tough for him and his family Lila comments like she's watching from afar and she's like why is he not moving and then Street's mom runs out on the field and she's screaming, Jason, get up. And then the crowd starts praying. The medics say that they think it's a spinal injury and they're not sure, but they wheel him off on a stretcher to an ambulance and people clap as he's getting wheeled away. And I guess they're trying to clap for the doctors or whatever, but it still felt like a very awkward moment. That's the end of the act. So my eyes were kind of glazing over at the beginning of the football game because I don't care for football. So I was just kind of like trying to pay attention, but then I kept, I was just like, this isn't holding my attention. Then like this stuff started happening and I was like, I feel like at one point I had like almost looked away and then I looked back and Street was on the ground mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, that's what happened to Street. <laughs> um, that was where I remembered. This was so well done, like tension wise. Like I felt like I was there. I started to cry. I was like, I can't, this is too much for me. Like this is why football freaks me out so much. Like, these injuries are devastating. It really is horrifying. And, like, this, it happens every year, and, like, some are unavoidable. But, like, this year, for for all of our listeners who are also NFL fans, which is probably not a lot of them, uh, but, you know, for my my (laughs) brothers-in-law that maybe listen to this, it's kind of like this year, a few weeks ago, um, the Dolphins quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa, I'm probably not saying that correctly. There's a big controversy because he, like, got a concussion in one game but then they like cleared him and said he was okay to play and he was playing again four days later because it was Sunday to Thursday and he got a concussion again in that game and like it looked really bad and like especially because if you get them like that close to each other without recovering the damage is way worse so everyone was like oh my god like how could they let him play like how did the system like so I mean obviously something like a spinal injury out of nowhere like you can't necessarily predict that or you know prevent it unless aside from just not playing football but like and then the concussion stuff like it's just there's a lot of things that could be improved in this sport and it's really horrible to see an injury like this especially something like this that might change this young kid's life forever and you don't know like he might be okay the crowd watching this like they don't know he could be okay and he could recover in weeks or months or it could be forever they don't know and it's so awkward and like you want it to just be over, but you're sitting there, you're stuck watching it. Yeah, the last like five to 10 minutes of the show are so emotional for me. Like I also was tearing up. I think the part that really got me is when he's lying on the field and they're like having him like move his arms and he does. And then they have him ask him to move his legs and he thinks he is, but he's not. But they don't actually like tell him like, no, your legs aren't moving. Like I was done at that point to see really a kid. I mean, as a high schooler to see his mm-hmm. life change in that moment I think to see just the town's reaction to it's about like the so much like riding on football for this town and now 
huge question mark around all of that as well just from like the town's perspective like it's just I feel like a million things at once that just change in that one instant. So this is one of the things that was kind of changed from the original um, book, the original true story. It was a star player who got injured and kind of changed the whole season, but I believe it was a running back. Uh, Peter Berg was inspired by a local incident that happened in a town in Texas in, I think, 2003, where a very promising young quarterback suffered a spinal injury um, and paralysis. And so that's, it was so tragic. And that's what kind of inspired this particular injury for the show. And it's, yeah, it's just horrible. And then the worst part of all of it is that everybody else has to go and finish the game. That was what got me. I was like, they have to keep playing. Yeah. That's crazy. How do you maintain focus again after that? We get an act break, which I think that's a good place to put the act break because the viewers need the viewers need a moment. And you know what? If this was airing on TV, they would put a commercial break there too. You know, for if this was an NFL game, they put a commercial break after the injuries to fill the dead time, but also to maybe distract people. So the commentators say something like, yeah, we just wheeled the number one player in America off on a stretcher, but now they have to finish. And Matt Saracen is the backup QB. And so he has to play. There's a shot of him like blinking and looking very confused. And it's like, does he even realize that he has to go in now? He is so overwhelmed. There was never any, like literally the only possibility that he would ever go in would be if, if Street was injured so badly that he couldn't play. So they probably haven't even practiced with him. The refs call the captains over for a meeting and Matt does not realize that that includes him because he's the quarterback. The ref gives them a little speech about like, okay, you know, let's just relax. Tell, tell all your guys to like slow down and be careful when they hit each other, (laughs) which that's the opposite of what you were training these kids to do, but okay. There's a shot of the Westerby team and they're kind of preemptively celebrating. They're up by 10 points and the backup quarterback's going in. Like they're not being obnoxious about it because like the guy just got injured, but like you can tell they kind of think they have it in the bag. Saracen, he's so, he's so deer in headlights right now. And he's going to the huddle and he's in charge. He's the quarterback now, but he does not know what he's doing. He says some play number and then Smash kind of like corrects him. Not in like an obnoxious way, but Smash is like, you mean this one, right? Because he said the wrong thing. And like the rest of the team obviously is not thrilled about it, but like they want to win the game. So they're like working with him. They're like not trying to antagonize him further. And then he, the next couple plays, Saracen's really struggling. He like turns the wrong way for the handoff. And then on the next play, he tries to throw it and he throws it into a guy's helmet. It's very hard to watch. And this is also intercut with shots of Street in the hospital. They're like cutting off his uniform and his helmet and like examining him and putting him into surgery. So it's very stressful. Take a timeout and Coach Taylor checks in with Matt. This was so embarrassing. He goes, do you remember how to read coverage? Not so well, sir. And Taylor says, just look before you throw the ball. See where the defense is and where our guys are. Then throw the ball to our guys. Like, that's like how you would tell me how to play football. (laughs) But like, I mean, it was funny and it was like condescending, but also like he just needed a moment. He just needed a reality check, I think. Because like, he's not completely incompetent. He is the backup QB for a reason. Like there's no one else who's a better backup QB than him. He was just not prepared for this moment. So then he goes back out there and then he actually is a little bit more confident. You know, they get some momentum. Smash does a big run. Then uh, Smash gets a touchdown. 
So they're now only down by three points, less than a minute left. They have to do an onside kick. Riggins recovers the onside kick. So they have hope. And then they, you know, have a really fast, uh, hurry up offense drive. Saracen, he gets like, it's the last play. They don't have any time. He's there's defenders chasing him. He dodges multiple tackles. He's on the run and he throws on the run and he gets a really long uh, TD and wins the game. And it's literally like the most movie moment, hero moment, like that he could have had after all of that that just happened. The crowd obviously goes wild. Coach Taylor, you can see he doesn't look happy. He just looks like, oh my God, it's like so relieved. And then all the players immediately kneel down on the field. They don't go to celebrate. They kneel down and they start praying and Smash starts leading them in a prayer. Um, And then Coach Taylor also continues it and um, his like voiceover of his prayer continues over the next scene where everyone comes to the hospital uh, to check on Jason. And the whole team kind of waits out in the lobby, uh, but Taylor goes into the actual hospital room. He comforts Street's parents who are obviously devastated. Also, there's a shot of Lila out in the hallway and she's crying and Julie comes over and comforts her. So it was a nice moment of like, even though she doesn't care about football, she can see there's this other girl who's having a really hard moment and like, you know, just wants to give some human comfort. And then the final shot of the episode is Coach Taylor goes to Street, who's unconscious in his hospital bed, and he's very laid up. He's got like a whole brace on his spine and he just holds his hand. Cue the waterworks again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Crying. The voiceover too with like Coach Taylor talking about just like how things can change and people falling. I was just like, okay, I'm back back to back to the tears a little bit oh that was that was so heavy which like I didn't expect it to be so heavy and then it was and I feel like but I think that's a good thing though I feel like I really didn't expect it to hit in that way because like I said football is not for me but I just I think that they effectively really found a way to make me care even though it is very tragic. Like, I was very much like, wow, well, what happens next? So even though it's terrible what happened to Jason, like, and all of that, I'm sitting, I am actually sitting here thinking, well, what about the well-being of him and the rest of the team? Like, I am actually very curious about what comes next for every single character. What this pilot does is some pilots that we've talked about, like, some pilots are very much about, like, we're giving you the structure and the clue of where everything's going to go from this series. Um, and this one, I mean, it does give us the overall goal. Obviously, the overall goal is winning the championship. But this one, it really leaves you on a little bit more of a question. Instead of like, a, oh, this is what's going to happen next, it leaves you much more on a, oh my god, what is going to happen next? How are they going to move on from this? And like every, every pilot has a bit of a balance of like the clue of what you think might happen versus the mystery, which is what makes you want to keep watching. But I feel like a different version of this show or a different version of this pilot could place a lot more emphasis on Matt Saracen as the main character, as the underdog backup who's waiting for his shot. And then he steps in and he wins his first game and like, oh, the narrative is that now he's going to take us to the championship. But that is not the narrative that you feel here. You feel like he got a win in a tight moment and that's nice, but it doesn't feel like, oh yay, now we're rooting with this underdog. It feels the way they leave it, especially by ending with this scene in the hospital it still feels like, oh my God, this was a massive tragedy. This show is unique because, you know, it shows why they all care about football so much and like the stuff that gets them, all these different people excited and invested in it, but also is not 
glamorizing it the way that some sports movies tend to do. I think the other reason that I think I'm so keyed into this and I'm very interested to continue with what time, I don't know. I get very interested in like these celebrity narratives. In this case, these are like this football team, that's their celebrities, like these high schoolers. And I feel like I'm very interested to see because like pressure affects everyone in very different ways. And I feel like you see Jason kind of with like the reserved, polite, very media trained answers. Um, He's like, I'm just here to play football. Um, thank you for thinking I'm great, ma'am. That's, that's the read I get off of Jason. You've got, and then you've got Matt. He seems to me like he likes football and he's a sophomore. So, you know, he's got, got a couple of other years on this varsity team, but like, it's all, it's always, always been about Jason because Mm -hmm. Jason is older. He's the star. And so I feel like Matt didn't think, so like, presumably Matt would have been quarterback after Jason graduated and like had gone off to Notre Dame probably so I feel like this is like Matt stepping into the spotlight in a moment he wasn't ready for it he's not the star yet that was never the thing that he was preparing for at this particular moment and it's just like I feel I also feel like that win was sheer stroke of luck he just hasn't had the practice like I'm not saying he's a bad player because obviously he's on the varsity team like I said I only watched a few episodes beyond this but I remember you know, it doesn't become an instant, oh, Saracen's stepping up and he's the starter and he's good now. It is not pretty like that. That's not how that works. (laughs) It's a struggle. He's not as experienced. He's not as old. He's not as talented as Jason Street. And like, it gets into this thing of like the thing that's, you know, it's obviously a thing in the NFL, but also in college and like in high school as well, when you're at this high level, like just because he was the backup on this team currently doesn't mean he's going to be their new starter. Because there are QBs that they're like, especially with quarterback, but with all positions as well, like there are players who are starter quality and then there are players who are backup quality. And so like he was good enough to be the backup and to be the, oh, just in case, just in case Street gets injured, but he never will. They are not necessarily going to, I mean, I spoilers, but like they start searching for, they don't say, oh, let's get Matt up to speed. They say, oh, how are we going to find another quarterback? I feel like with all the uncertainty too, there's also like this whole episode basically set the stage for like Coach Taylor and him the pressure that he's coming into. So he's now under a lot of pressure to figure out, okay, what's he going to do? And like you said, it's, it's not a given that this young sophomore who doesn't really know what's going on, that he's ready. And I feel like the the show definitely explores a bit more of like, what do you do? You have this good kid, right? You have Matt mm-hmm. Saracen, grandma's boy, like you just love him. You want him to do well. You can tell he's going to be like a hard worker, but does he have the talent that's necessary to step up? Are there other people who are maybe more ready to take on that position? So I feel like the show does a nice job of kind of playing with what coach Taylor's role has to be now in meeting the demands of, of the role. And yeah, and I would say like my reaction to this pilot I wish more had happened. Like, honestly, not that much happens in this pilot. Like, it's all just leading up to this one game where this thing happens. In terms of, like, plot events, it's a lot less eventful than some of the other ones we've covered. But I don't think it's a bad thing for this show. I think the time that it spends with the world, with the town, and with the characters is definitely well invested. And it does enough to make you want to keep watching. And I think also the fact that it is based on this well-established source material of like the nonfiction story that has already been tested as a movie. And you know that the guy making it has a lot of experience with this material. It invites more trust 
I mean, maybe the viewers don't all know that as they're watching, but like, I mean, you can tell by the way it's written that the people making this know these characters and like know the world, they know what they're doing. And it definitely invites some more trust from the network, I think. You know, if like maybe with somebody else, they would have said, hey, you know, this, it should go further in the pilot. But if it was Peter Berg being like, no, this is correct, then maybe they'll be like, okay, we trust you. I feel like it was necessary to not have that much happen, mainly because the end was so overwhelming. And I think that if I had also been hit with another event, I would have been like, this is far too much for me. So I'm kind of okay with the space they gave us in the beginning just to get to know people a little bit Mm -hmm. because of how it ends. Like, it was a lot. Um, Even though it was like one thing, it was a lot. And I think the show really is a show about relationships, especially as it progresses. And we get to see like little like peeks into that. We see the Matt and Landry dynamic, which is explored. We see Coach Taylor and Tammy, which ends up being one of the big like grounding relationships of this show. We see some of the like romantic relationships, seeds planted with maybe something with Julie and some of the play, like you just get these little peaks of things that I feel like the show does a nice job of like making you wonder, hmm, are they gonna, what are they gonna do with that? How is Julie gonna come into play? What's gonna go on with Smash? They drop kind of the bit about like the like racial tension, which is something that the show does explore in certain episodes. Like not to the extent that I thought it would based on like the scene setting of that comment, but there are little kind of previews into things. And it, it really is a show that I feel like grounds itself on those relationships. I mean, it was 2006, so maybe they didn't want to go so deeply into questioning the racial dynamics. (laughs) I feel like I'm curious as someone who, again, I like remember a few vague things from the next few episodes, but not in that much detail and obviously haven't seen the whole show. I know there's going to be a lot of tension between the players. I'm curious about to what extent coach Taylor's job gets threatened because we saw like, obviously there's high expectations for him. And it's not quite as simple to fire and replace a coach as it is to do it with a player. Yeah. But people are probably going to be upset. Like he's going to have a, a really uphill battle ahead of him. And I, I'm curious because I know that Kyle Chandler obviously is on the show the whole time. So like, if he ever does get fired, you know, it's obviously not going to be like permanent or maybe he goes to a different school and then like comes back. But I am just curious about like, I wonder how much his job security is going to play into things. I was going to say, I think like the the one last thing I would say about this show that I feel like the the pilot kind of starts to to set up a bit is just like, as someone who's not a huge football fan, I feel like there are positive things about a community be, being so into football. And there are obviously very negative things. We talk about kind of the very real health risks and concussion risks and serious injury risks associated with football. For me, this show did a very balanced job of showing like, the community and some of the positive things that come and then also some of the the negative things and I I know when the the book came out the book was super critical I guess of the um of the town that it was portraying and the the townspeople were very much against the book like banned it because it was criticizing kind of their culture in a way that they weren't that happy with but I think the show the show really shows us both like I you come away from from this series I think looking at coach Taylor and Tammy Taylor and understanding how football is so beloved by many, but also understanding like some of the very real implications of that and how it affects the town sometimes in a not very positive way. So Mm -hmm. I think that that balance is one of the things I really like. 
Yeah. And I think yeah. them moving into, I mean, first of all, moving into TV as a format, as opposed to just a movie. One of the reasons that Peter Berg like wanted to make a TV, TV adaptation of it is because he felt like when he adapted it to a movie that so much had to be cut from the book. So many of those interpersonal relationships, because a movie's not that long, it would be only a little bit longer than this pilot. And you would have to really, really trim it down to the main points. But in a series, you not only have more time to explore the structure that was already there, but also to explore more new angles onto it. And also moving into more heavily fictionalized version, you know, you can take inspiration from the real events that happened, but you also have more freedom to be both critical or positive without upsetting the original subjects quite as much. And I'm sure the fact that like 20 years passed also, not 20, 15 years passed, um, probably helped as well. Kara, I don't know, what are your thoughts um, from just this pilot? Like what would you keep watching and what would you be most interested in? The romance girly in me, very excited to see what's what goes on with Julie and any football player that she eventually gets herself entangled with because obviously that's what's going to happen. I really like Coach Taylor and Tammy's relationship. There wasn't that much that we got from this episode, but like from the small little scenes we got, I'm very interested in learning more about it because like I said before, I think Tammy really loves her husband, but maybe she does not like his job very much, which is interesting and also a very tough position to be in when he has such like a forward-facing job in this town. I am very interested. I think I'm really interested in the tailors specifically because they seem so different from the rest of the town that I'm like, what is it like for them to be here in this place? Especially with all of the pressure that's on Eric himself, that's going to affect his family life too, you know, especially because the mother and daughter are just kind of like, if you love it. I think that's a very interesting dynamic. I want to know what goes on with Jason, obviously, because like, especially the way they set it up with like his mother and Lila had both made their identities, the fact that they were so tied to Jason's football, which seems like it is now like planned for their future. Yeah. And that is now in the toilet. I'm also interested in Jason specifically because that was his identity. Like it's such a huge change. And I always find it interesting how different characters handle it and like maybe this is the best thing that could have ever happened to him even though it's really unfortunate or maybe he's really going to struggle so I'd be interested to see what happens with him honestly I'm here for all the dynamics I just want to know what happens like I am a relationships person so that's what I that's why I like tv so much yeah I'm interested in all of that and I'm also curious about smash because we didn't really get much about his family in this pilot there was a hint that his father's dead and he doesn't like to talk about it. So it's kind of a sore subject there. And I also yeah. just kind of want to meet more players on the team because obviously not every single player is going to be a major character because that would just be too many characters. But like, obviously there's more, we only got to know like four people on this football team and there's more. So I'm curious to see who else is on this team and what their opinions are and what their relationships are with other people. Yeah, I would definitely keep watching. And, you know, honestly, I might pick it up and try and watch it now. I think maybe I'm maybe I'm ready. Maybe my brain's ready to actually. No, I it. like actually do want to wa- continue watching it like maybe later today after I, I get might. some work done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, Kara, like if you like if you like kind of the, the coach and Tammy dynamic already in the pilot, like that just really gets going. If you're a relationships person, there's lots of like fun, like just 
not even just romantic relationships, but other relationships that form between different characters that end up being deep and meaningful in a way that you mm-hmm. would never even guess from the pilot. So there, yeah. there really is just such such great stuff. Tammy really emerges as kind of this strong like female character in a way that I think is really cool and in just the Texas setting and just how that plays into things. I would say the show doesn't really tackle politics too head on but it does dive into some issues where characters have different opinions about things and you see how that plays out in small town texas and it it really i think goes goes deep in some some of those areas in a really cool cool way thank you so much for for picking this show for encouraging us to cover it because you know i knew it was popular and i knew it was popular for a reason but like just and i knew i would watch it eventually but now i'm i'm feeling very inspired to actually continue this soon a fun one it really it really is and I feel like five seasons for me is like the perfect length of a show you kind Mm -hmm. of get in sometimes high school shows I feel like tend to run a little too long I feel like Friday Night Lights really lasted the right amount of time I'm so glad it was saved when it was at Mm -hmm. risk I think the the show had a lot more story left to tell at that point and I think just as as folks come into the show as well it does a really nice job of kind of keeping that momentum and telling new different perspectives of stories but but really kind of keeping that that anchoring on some of those characters that that we come to love over the course of the show so it's it's a great great five seasons that ends up going by very quickly as well to me like it pulls you in after the first season or so and you really want to kind of keep going thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your expertise with friday night lights um so uh, people can follow Jamie on Twitter if you want to see some really fun, interesting TV show graphs. It's at TV show graphs on Twitter, right? Same on Instagram, yes. There's also just tvshowgraphs.com is kind of a repository of all the, the different graphs that I've done over the years and just some other kind of commentary. I like to kind of deep dive into certain shows. I should kind of do something on Friday Night Lights one of these days because I feel like there's a lot a lot to tell and, and would be curious to look into some of the, the data around some of the different like character arcs and whatnot as well. But um, yeah, everything everything is on the website too. Yeah, amazing. We will link all of that in the show notes. You should definitely go check it out because I'm sure whatever your favorite shows are, um, there's probably some cool graphs about them. For anyone who's going to go watch Friday Night Lights for the first time or maybe going to go back and rewatch it, may I just wish you clear eyes, full hearts, and then you can't lose. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you now. If you have any thoughts about the Friday Night Lights pilot you'd like to share with us or suggestions for shows we should watch, you can email us at itsinmyqpod at gmail.com. And in case you want to prepare for the next episode discussion with us, the next pilot we will be watching is the Gossip Girl 2021 reboot. So go ahead and watch or rewatch that episode so you'll be ready for our thoughts on it next time. If you want to hear our TV thoughts that go beyond the pilot, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at itsinmyq.substack.com for our thoughts and TV news straight in your inbox every Friday. And if you like what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at inmyqpod or on our personal Twitters. I am at Adina Terrific. And I'm at Kara underscore Powell. Thanks for listening, and we hope we've helped you clear out your queue.